The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Messages of hope. Well, hi everybody. Welcome back for another episode. I sometimes tell you stories about communicating with the those across the veil at the top of the hour here, but I'm just going to get straight to my guest today because I'm so excited. Our guest is John Mundy, and in my words, he's one of the world's experts on A Course in Miracles. I've mentioned A Course in Miracles on this show several times in the past, and some people have written to me and said, I'm not really familiar with that. And while we're going to get into A Course in Miracles a little bit, uh, we're also going to get into John's latest book, which is called Mysticism and Miracles. Why I appreciate his work is that some people have said to me that they find A Course in Miracles challenging to read. The language just doesn't speak to them. And I can identify with that because I've never read it through fully myself. But what I have found helpful is those who, quote, translate it for us, put it into terms that make sense to us. And John Mundy has done that. So I'm really excited to share him with you. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. It's nice being with you. Well, I just am thrilled to get to talk to you personally, let alone share you with everybody. Let me see. Let's start with your background, you've been into philosophy and religion for a, quite a while. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what got you into philosophy, religion, and then on to what led you to A Course in Miracles? Wow. Uh, well, I okay, but <laughs> I grew up on a farm in Missouri. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but as a, I grew up on a farm in Missouri during the 40s and the 50s, and I spent a lot of time alone as a kid, hunting in the woods and working around in the fields, et cetera. And, you know, when you do that, you have a different kind of an opportunity when you're not going around big buildings and stuff like that. And I just kind of always knew there was something more. And I had a couple of mystical experiences when I was, one happened when I was hunting when I was 14 years old. Very quickly, I'll explain that one. What happened was there's a thing you do when you hunt where you stop in the woods and you just stand perfectly still and if the animals can't hear you tromping and if they don't smell you because, you're, you know, they can only smell if they're downwind of you. And I was just doing this thing. We called it freezing. You just freeze. And I was freezing. And all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but I kind of slipped into this like Zen state where there was no hunter hunting. There was no thinker thinking. There was just eyes on the world. And I was started wondering what was having the experience, and then I heard a voice. And the voice just said very simply, who wants to know? I mean, who's asking the question? The question was, what is having this experience? And it was so clear and so profound that I really, at that point, 14 years old, knew I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to answer that question. And the only place that was addressing that question for a kid in Missouri back in the 1950s was the church. So I got involved. I became a minister very, very early. I had my own church, believe it or not, at three rural Missouri churches. I started serving when I was 18 years old. Wow. Did a master's in Southern Cal, came to New York to do doctoral studies, started teaching courses on mysticism at the New School University where I was doing doctoral studies. And it just, they let me stay there for 10 years, and I had course after course on mysticism and got involved in an organization in New York called Spiritual Frontiers, which is investigating the same kind of thing that you're looking into now. Spiritual Frontiers doesn't exist anymore, but it was based on the work of Arthur Ford, who was a medium, who was doing the same kind of work, psychic-type work. And it's just been a, and then I met Helen Shookman, the scribe of A Course in Miracles, 
1973, she came to a lecture that I was giving along with Dr. Bill Thetford at a conference sponsored by Spiritual Frontiers. I was doing a talk on, interestingly enough, near-death experiences and mystical experiences and how they overlap with each other. And they were there. I was introduced to Helen that evening at someone's home. Um, they told me that she'd written like this inspirational book. Now, Helen was this little woman with frizzy hair and big glasses. And, and <clears throat> you know, I was like 29 at the time. And look at this little old lady. Uh, I thought, isn't that sweet that she wrote an inspirational book? <laughs> it probably has some nice prayers in it. It does. It has some very nice prayers in it. Yes, it does. Well, anyhow, that was our first meeting. And then um, she called me later the next year and said she had something for me. And I agreed to go meet her. I lived only a few blocks from her in New York City. We, she was on East 17th Street. I lived on West 20th Street. So it was a very just a cross-town walk. Mm. Um, she told me about the course, how it came into existence, gave me a copy of what was called the psychotherapy pamphlet, and uh, that was the beginning. That was April of, uh, that was 45 years ago. Oh. 45 years ago. And I've been working with it ever since. And studying so the, mysticism. So, And the Course in Miracles oh. has reached millions, right? Yeah, there's over 3 million copies have been sold. About two plus of that is in, of course, is in English. But it also exists, I think, and it's either in 26 or 27 different languages now. Of course, you won't be surprised to hear that Spanish is the second best-selling of all the other languages. So it's slowly, slowly, slowly. There's never been any publicity or anything like that. It's always been by word of mouth, but it just... And you're right, it's not easy in the beginning, but the more you hang with it today, today I'm working on a lecture for next week, and my assistant sits in the same room, the desk is across from where mine is, and a couple of times as I'm reading it, I went, oh, wow, oh, wow. Gosh, even after (laughs) all these years you've been working with it, huh? After all these years, you just keep seeing the depth because that's what's it is so incredibly deep. And the more you read it, the more it just keeps revealing itself to you. It's like it's endless, I guess, until you're completely enlightened, you know. (laughs) Well, why don't you just summarize for our listeners what the Course in Miracles is and who Helen was scribing for when you, I mean, people that aren't familiar with it, they're like, oh, Helen Shelton was the scribe, but this is not just a little thing. No, it's not a little thing. No, first we got we got a textbook of 669 pages. We got a workbook of 365 lessons. So there's one a day for a year, and the workbook is really key. That it, it it's like there's no other spiritual document that's quite like that. And that you've got to do these workbook lessons. And I really recommend that you do them over and over. I I do them and then I start over again. And I do it, I start over again. And every time you do it, you go a little bit deeper and you see a little bit more clearly what the message of the course is. And then there's a manual for teachers of 92 pages. So all totally you're looking at about a half a million words. What makes the course unique is its profound psychological depth. Helen, depth. Helen was a psychologist. She was a professor at Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. She did it in conjunction with her boss. His name was Dr. William Thedford, who Helen took the course down in shorthand. She could do it in the back of a taxi cab at night, whenever. She just would start hearing and she'd start writing. She then read it to Bill. Bill typed up what she read. Bill also, head of the Department of Psychology at Columbia, we're talking about Ivy League University here, very sophisticated. And then they realized the profound psychological depth of this because what it does, it it unwinds the ego. The ego is this place that literally everyone in this world is trapped in, unless you're an enlightened being, and how many of these do we know? They're there, but uh, they're probably... Keeping pretty quiet, <laughs> except for those. You know, there's some that that are out there teaching. Of course, that's really nice. So 
we're grateful that they are. But most of us are struggling with what the Course calls um, a split mind or a divided mind. And the mind is divided between, on the one hand, this thing we call an ego. There's a really interesting thing about the ego. It really doesn't exist. There really is no such thing. It's like a good analogy. It's like a computer program that's running a program that's that's running a sh- the show, so to speak, that we've all bought into. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole system. You know, we bought it from our parents. Our parents bought it from their parents, and and the church and the school. You know, the churches are dying very, very rapidly. And I, I think one of the reasons that the churches are dying is that the people are waking up and they're realizing whether this is conscious or not, this is a program. All these rituals and creeds and laws and dogmas and stuff, this is a program. We've been fed this program. We've been buying this program for so long. There's a lot of good intention in it. The churches have done a lot of good in so many different ways. I mean, they were a Presbyterian hospital, got started by the Presbyterians, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but people are, want to think for themselves now. They want to wake up on their own. People are awakening on their own, which is a really, really good sign. And the yeah. Course is just an aid in this awakening process. It's I once said to Ken Wapnick, Ken Wapnick was without doubt, the leading spokesman for the course. He was a companion for Helen and Bill. Once he got the course, he was also a New York City psychologist. He realized right away the incredible power of this uh, document. He did more than anyone in terms, he wrote 31 books in 31 years. I mean, my goodness, that's an incredible. Ken is gone. He's been gone for six years now. It's just Really hard to believe that he exited so quickly, but then I mean, 71 years old, it's not old. Even Ken thought, I think, that he'd live into his 90s. Mm-hmm. But he understood it so well, too, and he explained the process of the course very simply, and then we'll come to whatever you want to ask. The process mm-hmm. of the course is described as the process of the atonement. The atonement in the course means something very different from what it means in traditional Christianity. It doesn't mean Jesus suffering and dying for your sins. It means the undoing of the ego. It is, and the course helps us to undo this ego very gradually, slowly, bit by bit. Actually, at one point it says, fear not that you will be hurled into reality. <laughs> because if we were hurled into reality, uh, I did have an experience of that back in 1976, briefly, but I won't go into it at this point. It just, it's terrifying, absolutely terrifying because you lose all of who you the boundaries of who you think you are name identity body well if you know you you're talking about helping people with near-death experiences this is a part of the whole process of exiting is awakening really to who you really are as opposed to who you thought you were within the context of the world you know with the mask the identity that we create <clears throat> there's mm-hmm. a last part of the course has got a session called self-concept versus self. So there's a self that we build in the world. That's not who you are, not in truth. There are mm-hmm. there will be no John Mundy in heaven. There's no reverends in heaven. There are no doctors. There's no lieutenants. There are no captains. What do we need war people for? What do we what do we, what do we need reverends for? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. What do we need doctors for? There's no body, B-O-D-Y there. So I could keep going, but let's let you. <laughs> yeah, and I know some of my listeners right now are saying, what do you mean? I'm not going to meet my loved one when I cross the veil? And there is a level where people still are holding on to the story. There's no doubt about that because I, as a medium, communicate with them. But there's there are levels sure. beyond that that the course helps people get to get to. Yeah, of course you meet your love. Love never dies. You know, love is there. That's the connecting thing. It's not the body that's the connecting thing. That's the simple point. It's just the the body is a form. You know, and and we're not talking about form. It's really it's very difficult for us for the human mind to try to conceive of something that doesn't concern form. Spirit doesn't have a form. Love doesn't have a form. You know, these are immaterial, it's abstract. That's why it makes it so difficult for us to, to but we do 
we do know one thing. We know that love is real, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. We know that's real, and we know the spirit is real, and we know that connection is real. That connection is the important thing, right? Yeah. So that's what they're looking for. They're just looking to be reconnected. But don't think that has to happen in terms of some physical, physical, all bodies are temporal. They have a time, and they, in case you haven't noticed, they all disappear. They all, <laughs> there's nobody that doesn't let go of the body at some point. Right? Yeah, right. So when you say right. that Helen even wrote down, she was the scribe, she even took down notes in the back of a taxi cab, you haven't mentioned sure. who was doing the speaking. Oh, well, you know, that's kind of important, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, the answer very simply is Jesus. Now, what's interesting about that is we now have other books. We've got A Course of Love. We've got the works of Gina Lake and Beth Gear and several other people who claim that they are hearing Jesus speaking to them. And Jesus is really the right one because, I mean, you know, thank God it's not a Wano Congo or something strange-sounding name, you know. it's I mean, Jesus is the most profound figure, spiritually speaking, in the Western mind world. Let's take the Quran for a second, though. Okay, who who wrote the Quran? Muhammad didn't write the Quran. It was the angel Gabriel which gave the Quran to, Mo, to Muhammad, right? Mm-hmm. He heard it, right? So Helen is hearing Jesus. Muhammad is hearing the angel Gabriel. You know, whatever name what we want to give to it. Mozart said he didn't write his sonatas. They were given to him. Richard Bach said he didn't write Jonathan Livingston's Seagull. That was given to him. And just uh, time after time after time, the Holy Spirit. Use whatever term you want to use. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Angel Gabriel, run down the list. We've right. got to kind of give it a definition or a form at some point. But it's really God, you know, it's spirit. Yes. You know, it's just direct communication beyond the limitations of human form. That's all. I love that. All right. So there yeah. we have it. And, of course, in Miracles takes that voice it was given to helen shuckman it's just really cool that you you worked with her for so long and a program on unwinding the ego so i love right. your book a course living a course in miracles that's one that really helped me right. to understand the course better living a course in right. miracles and right. also let me just tell people more, how to find out more about your work you can go to miraclesmagazine.org or drjohnmundy.com and that's j o n drjohnmundy.com. So let's talk about mysticism, your latest book, Mysticism and Miracles. Okay. Uh, let's Because well, mi- Miracles is in the title, and that's come up so many times already, before we dive into your book, describe your definition, which most likely is based on A Course in Miracles, of a miracle. Well, a miracle simply rep- represents a, a change of mind. It represents a different way of seeing. It represents a, a way of seeing outside of the ego's way of seeing. Yeah. So it's an inspired way of seeing. It's a higher way of seeing. It's a direct time, form of knowledge. The, the Course says that miracles are natural. When they don't occur, something has gone wrong. The natural state for all of us to be in is love. That's our natural state. Or another way to talk about it would just to be present. And by being present, I mean the ego lives essentially in the past, rehearsing the past, and that's really guilt and sin. We got the sin in the past and the guilt and kind of our experience of the sin in the past. And then we got fear in our relationship to the, the future. What if this happens? Or what if I get sick? Or what if there's nobody to take care of me? What if I don't have any money? All those kind of things. Well, Right here in this present moment, there is no time, there is no past, there's no guilt, there's no sin, there's no fear, there's no future, there's just this experience. And that's what mysticism is. Mysticism is just a pure experience of love. Sometimes it is absolutely overwhelming. A good example of a mystical experience is falling in love. Because falling in love is bigger than you are. You're not in control of this. This is happening to you and through you. 
and you look at the beloved and all you want to do is just give, give, give to the mm-hmm. beloved. And what a wonderful feeling that is, right? Just to yeah. want to give all, that's all that we want to have happen. <laughs> I can yeah. keep going, but yeah. Well, I love how you say that, you know, a miracle is a different way of seeing. It's your natural state of, the natural state is love. And it's so simple when you put it that way. We could say, look around us at how everybody's arguing and we're all seeing our human lives. And wouldn't it be a miracle if we could all just love each other no matter what? And that's it. And that's it. And not only that, but you know what? We really do love each other. We <laughs> really do love each other. It's just right there below the surface a little bit. And on top of it, we've got all these evaluations and judgments and uh, what's good and bad and nice and not nice and pretty and ugly. And it's just a really kind of a matter of dropping all that. The course says projection makes perception. We're making up this world all the time. If you could just stop the projection, stop dreaming is the way the course is your nighttime dream of course is and your daytime dream it has a different form that's all it's still something that you're projecting so if you get into the present the moment reality now i have to stop both of those things i have to stop analyzing there's a, there's a line in the course where it says the ego analyzes the holy spirit accepts isn't that nice i love it there's no analysis to be done. Look, I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but just look what's going on in Congress at this very moment. It's analysis, it's interpretation, it's judgment about something, right? Yeah. Right yeah. or wrong. Right. That's what we're, that's what's, what's trying to be decided. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I, w- I would. I w- that's exactly what I was thinking of that situation right yeah. now when when I was saying that would be a miracle if we could all just see this from a different perspective. And I love how you said we, we all love each other right now anyway. And that's what the Course we in do. Miracles you said it unwinds the ego. It's just it's just that an overlay on what's underneath yeah. all of it. Ego, huh? It, so, it would you please describe? It. For everybody, what is a mystic? It's I love this because on my website it says I'm a one of the titles. Titles are just temporary things, you know. Modern day mystic, and your book. This is we're we are all mystics according to your definition. We once, once we get Absolutely. this, that's what I want people to know. So, what is a mystic? Well, a mystic is simply anyone who's open to having this experience, whatever the experience is described, like like I just described it as the experience of falling in love. That's a mystical experience. But a mystical experience also is just seeing and it's knowing, it's stepping beyond the illusions of the world. It's stepping beyond thinking that what's valuable and real is what I own or what my title is or how much money I've got or any of those things that kind of make up the world, anything that's status or external, it's nothing that's external at all. It's something that's, you know, that's why Jesus in the gospel says, lay up for your soul's treasures on, in, not on earth, but in heaven. <laughs> you know, we're thought thieves can't break in and steal, you know, and moths cannot, you know, rust can't get to it because that's what's eternal. We're, what we're looking for is the eternal experience and once you have it it is so beautiful because it's really it's freedom it's freedom from this antagonistic ego which tells you that there's a problem that tells you things like you should be angry about this there's no reason the line in the course of miracles says anger is insurrectionary never justified the word is never. It doesn't say sometimes. The ego level says, and then we got a debate, so which time it was justified and which time it wasn't justified. It's never justified. It's never the right answer because that, that would have to be something that comes from ego. Only love is the experience that you're having within the context of the mystical experience. And I'm not talking about love in the romantic sense, although we're not excluding that, certainly, but loving your, your dog. <laughs> loving being in loving music, loving what whatever it is that's coming your way that's that's beautiful. But what makes it beautiful isn't the fact that the thing is beautiful, it's the fact that you see it or you hear it. And that's what makes it beautiful because you bring it in to your own system and see it that way. Right? Mm-hmm. 
then even the unlovely becomes the lovely. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. I, I love that many of the people who are listening have had an experience, and we'll talk about after the break the things that trigger sure. this kind of experience, but that suddenly okay. show, parts the veil, shows us there's something more than the ego. And then they That's just right. become so joy-filled and just seek this feeling over and over again. And, and in oh, the sure. introduction to your book, Mysticism and Miracles, you talk about the true mystic. And if I could just read a, a line from it here, a true mystic dedicates his or her life to spiritual growth and the process of being free of illusion and begins living in accordance with the will of God, which is our will, and is willing to go through a deep inner cleansing of the soul. All of these things, so many who are listening will say, yeah, I feel that way now because it feels so good. Of course. Of course. There's nothing like it. <laughs> There's nothing like going home. Now you deal a lot with people that are that are in dying situations, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we. But really, do? I'm trying to show people that we can go home without leaving the body. Well, of course, home is here. Home is now. Home is where I am in the present moment. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's, and I find it interesting that we, sometimes. It's, it's already time for a break, John, if you can believe that. So everybody, please come I back after it. three minutes, and we will continue this wonderful discussion about mysticism and miracles with John Mundy. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi, everybody. We're talking with John Mundy, and I love how he is described as a modern-day mystic and happiness promoter. I have read several of his books that really dive into A Course in Miracles, and I found his latest book, Mysticism and Miracles, on Audible and listened to it as an audio book. I remember it was this summer, and I would go out walking and just listen to it then. Couldn't get enough of it, and it was so it so struck me that I had to get it in paper form so I could hold it and open it and underline and highlight things. Ty, my husband Ty would identify with that. He says I should get stock and highlighters. But this book, Mysticism and, and Miracles, John, is just fabulous. And one thing that got me was uh, page 43. I'm holding the book right now. You talked about a study mm-hmm. done that described uh, studying a thousand people who have had mystical experiences and gone on to really dive into mysticism and what the primary causes of those were. Do you remember some of those? Oh, yeah, sure. So the main thing that produces mystical experiences is probably not what most people would think. Um, the main thing that it really produces mystical experiences is some sort of crash and burn experience. And the reason for that is because something has got to happen that sort of breaks the ego loose. Um, and you got to kind of give up. And a good example is what happens with people who come into Alcoholics Anonymous. And very often they will come into Alcoholics Anonymous as a result of crashing and burning and hitting bottom and just realizing they can't go on the way that they've been going on anymore. Mm-hmm. The way the whole Course in Miracles got started it got started when even Bill is head of the Department of Psychology at Columbia. Bill and his assistant, they're supposed to be helping people to learn how to be therapists and help other people to get to mental health. And they weren't getting along. <laughs> they were having difficulty in their relationship, right? It was like, who could write the most learned papers and all that sort of stuff? And then one day, Bill turned on Helen and he just said, to her, look, there's got to be another way, meaning there had to be some way that they could get along. And Helen, uncharacteristically of herself, <clears throat> turned back to Bill and said, you're right. 
I'll help you find it. And that was really the first miracle. The first miracle was that Helen agreed to help somebody find an answer. And they always thought that the course was was the answer to that, right? So it's it's very often there's got to be something that really kind of shakes us awake. It's not the only way. You know, the, the second main methodology for coming to mystical experiences is just exactly the opposite of crashing and burning. And the second way is meditation. So mm-hmm. meditation is quieting the mind, getting quiet, sitting down, you know, getting kind of letting go gradually of all the attachments and the ego. Buddha has his great enlightenment and after through meditation, right? He spends seven years under the Bodhi tree and then these, these final last 49 days of just intense meditation and and what he gets is that <laughs> there's nothing there but but I mean there's nothing of the past there's nothing of the future you got to get to empty mind once the mind can be emptied completely then spirit can move in but spirit spirit can't move in as long as ego keeps pushing everything out so how do i get to quiet mind or empty mind Crashing, burning. Well, you got to stop thinking. That's the point. You got to stop thinking. We are incessant thinkers. So if Mm -hmm. I get to not, if I can stop thinking, then spirit just automatically comes and fills in the space. The one, the once we get out of the way, but you got to get out of your way. You know, Mm got to. If you get out of your own self's light. Then you can be illumined. That's a direct quote from Aldous Huxley, who <laughs> was really a very profound mystic. You know, he really saw so much of all of this stuff, right? Right. So, but there's other things. It's like what what can take you into this space? A third stimulant is the one that helped wake me up when I was a kid in Missouri at the age of four. Being in nature, in nature, being yeah. out there and being quiet and being a part of this energy that was there in in everything, the grass, the bushes, the animals, whatever it is. Music is another one. Ken Wapnick, who I mentioned earlier, is having been really the major spokesman for the course. Interestingly, at the age of 14, there's something about the age of 14, by the way. I've, I've got a chapter in the book there that you have from a Chinese girl who had this profound mystical when she was 14 years old and she was on the, she was on the verge of committing suicide. And at the point of, see, that's crashing and burning, but that Mm -hmm. woke her up. I started to mention Ken. Ken had an experience when he was 14, laying on the floor of his parents' apartment in Brooklyn, New York, listening to classical music, right? Mm -hmm. And that, took him out, right? Just he just a for, just laying on the floor in a living room. There's no parents aren't home, but he's listening to classical music and it swept over him and took him out. Right? Wow. What, what and, takes and you out of your insanity? Takes you out of your insanity. And yet and in the top ten is grief or death of a loved one, which many of our listeners oh, is what brought them to sure. this radio show. But they would say, well, I want out of my misery. You know, how do I have one of these mystical experiences? So that's a toughie. Well, it, it is a toughie. But what happens with grief is that it stops you. I mean, the world stops. I mean, the way that life was, you had this major person in your life and in your husband, your wife, whatever, in your life evolved around that. All of a sudden, they're not there. You're, you've got to go in another direction yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so that it's anything that stops us, you know, and that's a, the brakes are on, yeah. you know. <laughs> and yeah. once the brakes are on and you can't see things the way, you can't do things the way you were doing, and there's an opportunity there to, to go deeper and to wake up, right? Right. You know, I I was a minister for a long, long time. And I found I liked funerals. That's going to sound like a strange thing to say, but I preferred funerals over weddings in terms of the the reason is that I could 50% of the weddings are not going to make it. (laughs) Mm. Most people are going to enter into what the course would call a special relationship. We'll talk about that. Okay. We've all got to go through that. 
But funerals are designed in such a way, I had about a half hour or so that I could stand up there and pretty well say whatever I wanted to, and nobody was going to stand up and say, I object. <laughs> you know? So I had an opportunity to, to let people look into what's really going on, the love that really connects us, just to get a little maybe of a, a glimpse into heaven if we could, and then a reassurance about life, which is eternal. I love the definition. Every religion in the world defines God as love. There's no religion that doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. A Course in Miracles also says God is life. Hmm. And life is of the mind and in the mind. The body neither lives nor dies because it cannot contain you who are life. Life, life yes. itself transcends the body. The body is a physical thing. It has its time. It is temporal. And it is going to end. We know that for sure. But spirit cannot possibly end. <laughs> you know? that's right. Spirit is a thing which is eternal. And that's the part which is connected via love once again. Right? Yeah. Oh, everything you're right. saying is, is so in line with what I've been hearing from my guide, Sanaya, for over a decade now. And so many people say, this is just like A Course in Miracles. And that's because we're yeah. tapping into the same source here. Now, you mentioned, well, John, special relationships. Would you explain right. what that is? Well, a special relationship in terms of the Course is any relationship and all relationships in which we've got work to do. <laughs> it's, which means that's really most of our relations, all of our relationships. Yeah. Because a special relationship is any relationship in which you have an anticipation or an expectation about the way this other person is supposed to react in relationship to you. They don't react that way. Oh gosh, so everybody react that identifying way, with this? <laughs> <laughs> right now, if they don't, they don't, they don't act that way. This now creates a special relationship. So, what is has to happen in the relationship is we have to heal the relationship. And the way we heal the relationship is to is by getting back to love again, because the love is, as I said earlier, it is there. It's underneath it. So, but I need and the process that's described in the Course in Miracles is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the process by which we kind of we get back home by and one of the ways that we do that it's by letting the other person be who they are. <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the course, my wife says it's her favorite line in the course, and this was especially true for me during the time that our now thirty three year old daughter who's about to give us our third grandchild, let's say when she was twenty years ago when she was thirteen. We went through a little difficult time. I called it the terrible teens, you know. Mm -hmm. And if there was anybody that could kind of get to me, it was Sarah at that particular junction. Uh, but I understood what I had to do. Wasn't it to get into a fight with her because that never worked, right? Mm -hmm. What I had to do with this special relationship was to walk out of the room. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to leave her alone. Let her cool down let me cool down so that later we could kind of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry too, you know, and now we have a chance to begin to, that's where the forgiveness comes and we can begin to heal the relationship and get back to the love thing again. But we can't, you can't be fighting and angry and in love at the same time, even though it's sometimes you kind of know it's under there, you know, and stuff is coming out on top. We want to get, we want to get beyond that, that warring kind of stuff that's going on on the surface of the thing and get down to, the real truth that's really under there, which again is the love. Nice. But there are greatest teachers, are those in our, our family members and closest friends. I might add that in terms of <clears throat> the Course in Miracles and in the a Course of Love, if you've seen that, that's sort of a another book beyond the Course in Miracles. Um, mm -hmm. They both say very, very clearly, and one of the questions you can ask, what are we doing here in this world? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, what this world is, this world is a school. It is a classroom. It is a mental hospital. It is a reformatory. 
<laughs> there's act, yeah, it really is. Um, there's actually a line in the Course in Miracles where it says, and I love this because this is the next book that I'm working on. It says, the power of decision is your last remaining freedom as a prisoner in this world. So there's a certain sense in which we all feel imprisoned in the world. First of all, you're imprisoned in your body. I mean, you can't get beyond the skin, so to speak. Now, mm-hmm. you can with mystical experiences, and you can in loving experiences, you know, you can it with psychic type of experiences, you can, but that's not our normal state of being. Our normal state is that we're very much tied to our bodies. In fact, as the Course says, the body is the ego's chosen home. On an ego level, we really do. We're very concerned about our visage how this thing looks in the mirror and how it looks to other people and what we wear and all that kind of stuff that we can invest in so so very strongly. And ultimately, that has very little to do, has nothing to do ultimately. But what, you, what you're saying sounds very dire. This is a reform school, a mental hospital, and we're prisoners. But the, the whole point of this is that through the mystical <laughs> path, we find freedom now. We can, we can oh, yeah. find that. That is very, very available to yeah. all of us. Well, you know, don't get into the prison reform. Just see it as a school. (laughs) It's a school, and you're going to graduate. But in order to graduate from this school, you've got to learn the lesson that you came here to learn. And you came here to learn how to get along with other people. That's it. Yeah. What we're really learning is that there's only one mind. And we're all a part of that one mind. There is no difference between us. There is no room for segregation. There's no room for for division. And if I think that you're better than I am or you're worse, that's what it is, especially in any relationship, I think that somebody's better or worse than I am. And I judge them for being better or worse than I am. And then it's the judgment that gets me into trouble. I have to see that we're... In God's eyes, God has no favorite children. There's no such thing as a favorite child. We're all exactly the same. And that makes us exactly the same as Jesus, for that matter. And so what you just said is perfect for this diagram that I'm looking at in your book, Mysticism and Miracles, A Course in Mysticism and Miracles. Page 85, you talk Mm -hmm. about right-mindedness leading to one-mindedness. Do you remember that diagram? Sure. Can you describe it for us? Well, the Course is trying to help us. you got to get to right-mindedness first before you can get to one-mindedness. So right-mindedness very simply means that I start saying things the right way. I start treating other people the way I would want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. You know, I, I start acting with kindness, uh, with, with honesty. The, the Course is what calls the Ten Characteristics of a Teacher of God. And as I adopt these ten characteristics, they include things like Trust, honesty, patience, gentleness, you know, all these really very faithfulness, open-mindedness. And as I adopt all of these characteristics, as they become, literally become me, and I start seeing through what the Course calls the eyes of Christ. I love, by the way, the definition of Jesus that appears in the Course. It appears in the Manual for Teachers, and it says, Jesus was a man who saw the face of Christ in all of his brothers and sisters and remembered God. Isn't that a great definition? I love that. Jesus was a man who saw the face of Christ in all of his brothers. I mean, how did he get to be the Christ? By seeing the face of Christ in all of his brothers and sisters. And others must have seen that. I mean, that he was seeing that. You know, he... He looked past the actions, the ugliness of the behavior, and didn't judge that. And, uh, somebody that's acting out is, is really, and they're just asking for love. So our job is to love them, you know? <laughs> so in this diagram you have, you show we are the decision maker, and it's in the middle, and there's an that's arrow right. that points up and an arrow that points down. Right. So we're always a decision maker. Remember that quote I just said, the power of decision is your last remaining freedom. That is the most important. There's, this, <clears throat> there's a part of a mind 
which we call the decision maker, which decides, am I going to go with the ego? And if I'm going to go with the ego, I'm making all kinds of judgments and assessments and I'm complaining and I'm bitching and I'm griping and I just love griping. I just love complaining, right? Mm-hmm. And people do. You know, it's an addiction. Yeah. Now, or I can go this way. I can start, I can just love whatever it is that I'm seeing. I can be appreciative of whatever I'm seeing. I just be kind to whatever it is that I'm seeing. I heard this woman say this really strange thing once about her husband. She says, "I know he can be. I know he can be kind. He's that way with the dog." Isn't that something to say? Oh my God, he's that way with a dog. Why can't he be that way with me? Hmm. That poor lady. Hmm. <sighs> it's there. So the it's choice is it. between ego and the mind, or spirit and the mind with a capital M. Right. So we want to get, there's two kinds of minds in the course. There's a little M mind and there's a capital M mind, if you want. So we we want to get our little M mind over into the capital M mind, which means that this is to see things the way spirits see. This is to see things the way Jesus saw them, or the way Christ sees them right now, right? Which is with the love of God in all things that I see. This is the only way I see. I, I don't see problems. There may be problems, but they're not really problems. You know, not really, they're not really problems to me. So I've got some work to do here. That, that that's not a problem. <laughs> this you is know? such a peaceful way to live the mystical path. Oh, it is absolutely it's totally peaceful. It's the yeah. only way. The, the the foundation that was put together to publish the course. If you take a the, the first edition, the main one, the one that I work with. In the very bottom of the front of the book, it says this is published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. Hmm. Now tell me, is there anything that any one of your listeners wants to have more than inner peace? If you got inner peace, you got it. You're home. (laughs) You know, you're in heaven right now, uh, even though you're sitting in a body somewhere. (laughs) You don't have to die to go to heaven. And I love the point that you made earlier that we we actually get addicted to complaining oh, yeah. and griping and things. And this morning I was just a little bit knocked off balance from a little medical procedure I had a couple of days ago, and and I found myself acting very uncharacteristically angry, and I lashed out and I was complaining. And you know it actually felt good, John. It felt good to complain, and I was like whoa, but it feels so unusual, you know, but there's something about the ego that really likes that feeling. And it's scary because we're trying to get away from that. Yeah, but Susan, I think that underneath that, you don't. That may be what it looks like it is on top of the anger. It may look like I'm, 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 I'm enjoying getting into this, but underneath it, there's guilt. And the guilt is that I shouldn't be doing this. The guilt, you know, I bet everybody has had the experience of getting angry, and then right in the middle of getting angry, you know, you're wrong. You may be right about what you're angry about, but you're wrong to be angry. Mm, That's what I love a mistake that. is. And there's there's a part of you that knows that. And that that points back to the whole forgiveness issue in The Course in Miracles, because I remember my guides once saying, here's a good phrase, forgive me for ever thinking I was ever anything but love. Right. Perfect. And that's the guilt. That's the guilt. The Course talks about what it calls the attraction of God and the attraction of guilt. So the attraction of God is the thing that pulls the mystic, that pulls the mystic up. Misty just wants to know more and more and more about God, more and more about what love is, right? Mm-hmm. The attraction of guilt is the thing that pulls us down, and guilt is a terrible feeling. It's really the all oh, it's dirty, stinky, awful. Oh my God, to think that I did something that actually hurt somebody else, that is not pleasant. This is not fun. You but know, why is there is an attraction there? Well, because, first of all, let, let's very briefly how this whole thing, how this whole mess of a world got started in the first place. We go back to Adam and Eve. It's not, it's the thought that it's possible to think a thought outside of the mind of God, hmm. to be independent. You can't do it. You can't really think a thought outside of the mind of God. 
Yet that's the that's that the that's the entire illusion that most people in this world are in, though, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, yeah. of course. Yeah, you think you can think, you have a thought on your own without God, and but it's a lonely, it's a very lonely thought. You know, it's a, it's isolating thought. We're the, the we're here to communicate. We're here to join. We're here to be one. And and the more I experience, well, I mean, falling in love is the most wonderful experience because you're joining. You know, it's union, it's connection. It's bigger than you are. The, the relationship exceeds the two of you as individuals. You know, and beyond that, whether it's your family or your church or you know whatever it is, the community, the humanity of which you are a part. You know. So, are you able to? Walk the talk all the time. Have you been in this so long that you 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 hold that gonna, awareness? I'm, this I'm, mind is the mind of God. I'm gonna say no, and I'm gonna say no because you can really only say that if you know 100% for sure that you are not gonna trip. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that you just got this so good that. You don't get frustrated, you don't get angry, you don't get pulled off track. And you've got to really, really, really be there in order to say yes to mm -hmm. that question. And I think uh, that it's kind of, uh, uh, I wouldn't want to say that. But, once but I think it's kind of cool when we know, when we, we strive to, to get there, even if we never get there, it it's it's part of the journey, don't you think? It's a part of the journey, but you do get there. I mean, <clears throat> the Course promises that, that everyone will wake up. Jesus woke up. We're all, the, the, the exciting part about being a mystic is that you may not be there in some sort of totally complete sense, but your foot is on the path. You mm -hmm. are headed home. You're going in the right direction. It's not yeah. like you're caught in some addiction that's pulling you down. That's the attraction of God. You're caught in something that's pulling you up, that's lifting you. You may not have reached heaven yet, but by golly, you can see through the clouds and you know you're on the way. That is such a perfect that's way as we, as we come close to the end here. Your book, A Course in Mysticism and Miracles, page 277, you say, Walking the mystical path is simply a matter of listening to and following the guidance of seeing the insanity of the world and choosing not to play the world's game. Absolutely. You do not play the game. You watch the news, and when you watch the news, you do it dispassionately. You do it objectively. You see that there's a game going on. There's a play going on. I'm not going to play that game. I'm not taking up sides here. I love it. Thank you for pointing the way to do that, John. I hope everybody will turn to your book and the wonderful way you've translated The Course in Miracles for us. And thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Suzanne. It's been nice being with you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.